whether that's an email or a landing page or a white paper, an infographic, it doesn't matter. It's like, think about the, the one asset you're creating, whatever you're writing, and then think about the one goal. Like, what do you want? What, you know, why are you doing this? And, and what's the purpose of it? How does it align to the overall business goals of your own organization? You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Justin Levy. Today, I'm super excited to talk to my friend, Ann Hanley. Ann is the Chief Content Officer at Marketing Profs. She's also the Wall Street bestselling author of Everybody Writes and is a keynote speaker who is always somewhere in this world. How are you, Ann? I am great, Justin. So awesome to speak with you. Can you tell the listeners a bit about your background, your career, kind of what's brought you to this point? Oh my goodness. Do we have three hours? Did you say this podcast was three hours, right? Sure. For you, it can be as long as you want. All right. Buckle up, friends. So I started my career as a journalist. I went to school for journalism. I worked for a number of newspapers ended up at the Boston Globe eventually. And then the internet happened and I saw pretty quickly that things were going to move online. So in 1997, which is a million years ago in internet years, um, I founded a company called clickz.com, which was one of the first sources of information about how to market on this nascent thing called the World Wide Web. Um, and from there, uh, sold it a couple years later, joined Marketing Pros as a partner in 2002, wrote a book called Content Rules with our good mutual friend, C.C. Chapman. Shout out to C.C. In, God, what year was that? Oh, 2010? Yeah, yeah, 2010. Um, and uh, wrote the first edition of, of Everybody Writes in 2014. And eight years later, bringing you up to speed, here we are talking to Justin about the second edition of Everybody Writes and about all the things that have happened in the past, I don't know, million years since the internet started. One of, as an aside, a, a funny story about content rules. So Cece was in our office when Chris Brogan and I worked together and he brought in, like it was the final, you guys were just shy of submitting the final uh, copy. And he came in, he was happy and he was like, yeah, I knocked it out. Like it's broken up. We have all the subjects covered. And I was like, oh, what? Like podcasting? Because he had his podcast at the time. That was the one chapter he had forgotten to write content for. And he was like, oh, crap. And he left immediately and went back home. I remember that he called me and he said, guess what? We forgot podcasting. And I was like, oh my goodness, you're right. Said, well, that's on you because to your point, he <laughs> that's was your thing. I was not. Um, I said, well, get going, get cracking boy. So he did. And, uh, and the rest is history. But yeah, he and I published that book in 2010, which is crazy. You know I mean? That was 12 years ago. That's nuts. Huh. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it became one of the best-selling books on content marketing and it's spurred a whole lot of other books about content marketing and content has definitely evolved and morphed into a completely different kind of discipline. But the fun thing is, you know, he and I still get tagged and shouts on social where people have discovered it for the first time. And it's kind of amazing to me that this 12-year-old book still has relevance in a modern age of marketing, you know, so that's kind of fun. Now, if you transition to 
your second book, Everybody Writes. It's a Wall Street best-selling book. It's selling great. You know, you you speak on it often in the concepts within the book. Eight years later, you decide to write a second edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? And what's <laughs> changed? So why? Oh man, I here's the truth. I wanted to make sure that this book stayed as relevant and as popular as it has been with marketers over the past eight years. I felt that it needed a little bit of updating. It needed some new examples. It needed some fresh insights. But I didn't think it was going to be that hard because, you know, to your point, it still sells very briskly. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It's got like 985 five-star reviews on Amazon. Like none of that is a flex. I'm telling you because I really thought it'll be a piece of cake. You know, it's our, it's a good book. I just need to freshen it up a little bit. Um, so I went in there thinking I was just going to do a quick dusting and vacuuming and spraying some Febreze around, making it, you know, smell nicer. And I realized pretty quickly that, you know what, that's not going to cut it because there's a few things that have changed in marketing. There's ways that we communicate now that we didn't in 2014 when that first edition came out. There's a whole lot that has shifted in a post-COVID world. So the marketing has changed. That means that our writing has changed, content has changed. But more than that, Justin, I've changed. And that was the biggest revelation to me. I went through the book and I thought, I barely recognize the person who wrote this because my voice has changed and the way that I communicate has evolved. And so that ultimately made me think, you know what, hold on, we're not going to do a dusting and a vacuuming and a febreezing. Instead, we're going to take it right down to the studs. We're going to strip it all. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to install a bouncy house in the backyard because (laughs) I think writing is so much more fun and it deserves to have some celebration in a marketing context. Um, and so, yeah, I completely renovated the book. It, I thought it was going to take me, I don't know, 10 minutes. It ended up taking me 10 months, close to a year to finish it. And um, I think it's it's a completely different book. It maintains some of the bones and the ethos of the original in that it's useful. It's very um, specific to certain tasks and certain approaches, but I also think that it completely blows up the original in the best possible way. And it does make it more valuable, I think, for all of us in in marketing in 2022, heading into 2023. One of the things that you write about in the book, as well as anyone that knows you and subscribes to your newsletter, or, you know, reads anything else that you write, you talk about always making it personal, making it personal to the reader. You know, and it goes beyond, say, that with the newsletter, hi, first name, you know, here's my newsletter type thing, right? And yeah. it it's always, you know, when I receive your newsletter, when in the book you talk about it, it's so important, you say, to write in, in that humanized way, in, in a way that uh, makes the reader feel welcomed. Why is that important to you? But also you know, how do you do that for someone that's just listening, you know, maybe after this, they go buy the book, of course, but how do you do that within the constructs of a newsletter or a blog post or something else that you're actually uh, creating? Yeah, I think, you know, the secret to any kind of content, and this is true of text, written content, but I also think it's true of a podcast or a video or 
anything that we might publish or produce through our content marketing programs. The secret to any of that is making it feel like it's specific and relevant to one person. And I think that's the secret to great marketing in, in 2022. Um, the idea that when somebody reads what you've written or, or when they access what you've produced in, in any way that they go, oh my God, these people get it. Like they get me. I call it in the book an it's me moment. You know, are you delivering that it's me moment? So say somebody comes to a landing page on your website. Are you completely articulating the exact problems that a person might have with a particular problem in their own life? You know, are you actually articulating it for them in a way that feels that they see themselves in, in what you're writing or in what you're producing? Um, and I think the more that we can try to get there, especially in B2B marketing, then ultimately the more successful we will be. And so it's really not that there's no magic to it, Justin. I think it's really just about thinking about your your one prospect or that one customer or that one person who you want to help and then crafting whatever you're writing to that individual. Now, I don't mean it specifically to say like, dear Justin, you know, here's a solution for you that I think you will find useful. Not like that. Like I'm not saying use their specific name, but I'm saying almost like crawl inside their skin a little bit, like literally put their skin on and think, okay, how can I write this from their point of view? How can I write to one person from their point of view? I was talking to somebody earlier today who said something that I that has sort of stuck with me and I thought it was kind of funny. So she was saying that when she sits down to craft anything, like maybe a prospecting email or anything like that, she will go to LinkedIn and find a proxy for the kind of person who she's writing to and she'll look at their LinkedIn profile and stare into their eyes and try to think to herself, what can I help you with today? Um, and I just love that visceral approach. You know, I do something similar, not quite as, as creepy as that as going to LinkedIn and staring into somebody's eyes. Although, I mean, it's not creepy, right? It's just, it's useful. It's a, it's a very visceral way of thinking about what you do for one person. Um, but I do something similar in that I think about, I conjure up, you know, somebody who I've had a conversation with or somebody I talk to on social or an email or any of those things. And I write specifically to that one person. Um, and it sounds so elemental in marketing to think about solving the problem for one person, but I don't see it enough. And it's so important because the secret to great marketing is that the more specific you are to one person, the more universally you'll appeal. And that's because you are telling the truth to one person and your voice becomes much more authentic and real and intimate. And I think that's what we need to be heading toward in B2B marketing. Oh, one of the things you uh, mentioned in the book, and one, I love that everything has a really creative name to it. And people that haven't read the book or that will go read the book will see what I mean. You call things by, by a number of different phrases that uh, are easy to remember and make you laugh. But one of the ones that have stuck out to me is the GPS framework. And can you explain what that means? Yeah. So the GPS framework is actually something that I touched on in the first edition of the book, but I really blew it up in the second edition of the book because I wanted to make it really useful for marketers. And what it is, is a 
way to take your words, your writing, your thoughts, your ideas from a kind of discombobulated mess over here and then walk it through a number of steps until you end up with something that is just ridiculously good. The number of steps along the way that you take are sometimes big steps. Like the very first number one is to identify the goal, like of any particular piece of content that you're producing. And again, whether that's an email or a landing page or a white paper, an infographic, it doesn't matter. It's like, think about the, the one asset you're creating, whatever you're writing, and then think about the one goal, like what do you want? What, you know, why are you doing this and, and what's the purpose of it? How does it align to the overall business goals of your own organization? So think about the goal, but then secondly, think about, well, why does it matter to the customer? And I walk you through how to do that. Um, but then like when we get to step six, like step six of the writing GPS is walk away. Like, is that really a step? Do you have to really, like, it's nothing to do, but I think giving yourself that distance, slowing down the evolution of any piece of content enough, like it doesn't have to be a week. It can be an hour. Ideally it's overnight, but you know, you, you, you do what you can. Um, so you, but you walk away from it and, and when you, when you go back to it after giving it a chance to sort of breathe and mature on its own, I do think there's this thing that happens where you suddenly see, oh, I know what I should be doing here. Maybe I could write it in this certain way. Maybe this sentence needs to go over here. Um, the writer Neil Gaiman talks about that moment of like the, the walking away piece of it as inviting a bunch of like house elves, like Dobby the house elf, if you're a Harry Potter fan, but it's like an inviting house elves to come in and kind of fix it up and magically like you know align some things and 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 spruce it up and clean it up and it's a little bit like fantastical to think about that but i think it's actually true like i think there is something that happens there's some magic when you walk away from it give yourself some distance and then you go back to it um, and so the writing GPS is 17 steps and don't freak out i feel like everyone here just went what 17 steps to writing that's insane don't freak out because again, some of them are very simple steps like walking away, like forgiving yourself when you are not doing what you thought you would, would want to do in this piece. You know, that comes very much toward the end and it happens in every single thing that I write. Um, and so it's 17 steps to sort of take you through the entire process. Um, and the reason why I completely redid it is because I wanted to share my process. These are the exact steps that I go through because it's what I need to do to take something again from this sort of like lump of clay to in the end, making it something that is beautiful and others can recognize and see themselves in. That's what I need to do. And I thought, well, you know what? You take what you want and you leave the rest. And so I offer it to the readers as, you know, if this works for you, great. You can move the steps around. I give you total permission to do that. I'm not saying there's only one way to write, but I'm saying this is my way. This is the process I use. And I think process can be very helpful in writing. Another reason why I think it's so important to think about process in writing is that writing is a muscle that we need to train and that we need to learn. And in marketing, we're used to investing in courses to teach us how to use Google Analytics 4, or let's take a class in, I don't know, how to use a marketing automation tool. Like we do all of that, but we don't think about writing in the same way, yet it's so fundamental to so many things that we do. And it's so central to so many things that we do. And so I'm, I'm inviting marketers and marketing leaders to apply that same kind of rigor 
that we use with Google Analytics and and maybe you know learning how to implement you know Adobe or something like that. Apply that same kind of rigor and certification to something like writing because again, so fundamental to all of us as communicators. One uh, piece of the book or one section that made me laugh and. Like I told you, I, I've read the book before bed every night. So we've, <laughs> we've fallen asleep together at night. But uh, one, one part that made me laugh, it actually is a great framework, but it made me laugh when I read what you called it is the Rudolph action framework. So <laughs> what, how do you fit Rudolph into a framework? <laughs> Oh my goodness. I, 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 um, so the Rudolph framework comes out of be looking at a way to teach story in a way that would feel doable. Um, because again, story, storytelling is one of those things that feels so hard and it also feels a little bit amorphous or, or, you know, tricky in a, in a marketing context. But, you know, really all storytelling is, is a way to show the audience instead of just telling the audience, right? Let's show them how our products and services live in the world. And so the Rudolph framework takes the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and breaks it down into what's actually going on in that story with Rudolph. In that story, Rudolph makes Santa the hero of Christmas, right, of the story. So, so Santa becomes the hero that saves Christmas for children worldwide. Rudolph is the product, right? So Rudolph is that flying headlamp that Santa uses to save Christmas on a stormy Christmas Eve. And so I invite and um, and challenge, I guess, all of us in, in B2B marketing to think of our own products and services as the Rudolph and to focus on how do we make Santa the hero. And I offer you a framework to sort of help you step through that process. You know, how do you actually take your product or service, which we love, we love Rudolph so much, but how do we actually make it relevant for Santa and, and, and who Santa serves in B2B? That's so critical because we sell solutions to other companies or we sell something, services to other companies. Um, and so, and then who does that, who do our customers serve? And so Santa serves who? Santa serves children worldwide, right? And so ultimately bringing it down to that, make your customer the hero so that he or she or, or they look great in front of their own, you know, their own customers, so to speak. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how that evolved for me. The entire book, Justin, is is really my attempt to make this all feel doable for marketers like you and like me, but also to make it fun. You know, so that's why I use Rudolph because I could have just used like I don't know some some story that wasn't nearly quite so fun or you know maybe accessible. But I wanted to intentionally make it feel fun and make it feel doable because we have to keep stop taking ourselves quite so seriously in marketing. Marketing is like the most fun area of an organization and we should literally be having the most fun and i think we should give ourselves permission to do that now besides your book which people should go buy and it'll there'll be a link in the show notes and all that good stuff but is there a book a blog newsletter that you recommend where should people go find uh something that you find of value um, let me see. What do I find of value? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I honestly, I get, I get value from more outside of marketing than within marketing. And that's no shade to any of my fellow colleagues or content creators or marketers. 
but to keep myself engaged and to keep myself always thinking and moving forward, um, you know, I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of autobiographies because I'm so interested in people and how they think and work and how they got to where they've gotten to. Um, right now I'm reading a book written originally in 1949 by E.B. White, the author of Charlotte's Web, which if we were on video, everybody, you could see behind me, Charlotte's Web right there is my favorite book of all time, um, which we don't have time to get into now, but trust me, it's my favorite book of all time. I actually think I talk about it in the book. So if you want to find out why, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, you know where to get the story. Uh, no, so anyway, it's a book he, that he wrote in 1949 and he, literally him walking around New York City in the late 1940s. It's interesting to me because, you know, I wasn't alive in the 40s. I don't live in New York. I don't even really recognize a lot of the landmarks that he talks about. But the way that he tells a story and the way that he pulls me into a nonfiction piece of writing, I learned a lot about writing and how to tell a story and how to engage an audience by stepping outside of our bubble of B2B marketing. So it's not to say there is no value in B2B marketing. I mean, I subscribe to a zillion B2B marketing newsletters and, and I'm on LinkedIn every day, just like you are and value the insights of, of our colleagues. Um, but, you know, to really feed me and fill my soul, I look outside of that. Now, who would you recommend we bring on to the show? Oh, my goodness. Who should you bring on to the show? I don't know. Who have you had? Is there a very long list? There's. It's a long list, but I'll tell you that after your podcast, I am uh, interviewing Melanie, so you're not allowed to mention Melanie oh. or her book. I was thinking about Melanie because she has a <laughs> brand new book as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm trying to think of... Um, who has something that I find interesting to talk about right now. Um, so, you know, we just had the B2B Marketing Forum not too long ago. You were a speaker there. There were so many fantastic speakers at that event and so many people who I didn't get a chance to see. And so I'm just thinking about who were the people that I heard the most about. Um, I think it would be really fun for you to have Chris Penn and Katie Robert on again, if you haven't had them on. Um, but I said again, because they, you know, as you, you were at the session that they presented at the B2B forum about, not about what they do, which is the work they do through Trust Insights, but about how they manage their company and about how they've structured it. And so I think that would actually be a really insightful conversation for your listeners to hear. The second idea that I had was, uh, as related to the B2B forum, was the idea of influencer marketing, which I know you're very passionate about. But our mutual friend, Ashley Zekman, I think has a lot of interesting ideas about how to run a successful influencer marketing program, has a ton of, ton, ton, ton of um of insight and experience in that area. So if you haven't had Ashley and you haven't had Chris and Katie speaking about leadership, I think there you go. That, that's a twofer. Yes, that's a twofer right there. <laughs> and though this will publish after uh, this, I have a conversation set up with Melanie for this show, but I also am talking to Chris tomorrow and then uh, Ashley next week. So ah, there we go. see how this all comes full circle. Now, how, uh, before we let you go, how can people get in touch with you? 
Oh my goodness. Um, you can get in touch with me through marketing props, but more directly through my own website at annhanley.com. If you are not on my email newsletter list, it's the most fun you'll ever have on a Sunday morning. It's annhanley.com slash newsletter, or you can connect with me on social. Wherever social is uh, appearing, I'm probably there. <laughs> thank you so much. I know you have to run but uh, thank you for taking the time out today. Oh my God, you're amazing. Thank you for having me. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.